the idea was like, I don't know what to write about. And so it's kind of just like, okay, well, I'm going to write and publish something. And so it's going to be about how I don't know what to write about. And the funny thing is often like some something interesting does even come from those often when you just like, you think you don't have anything to write about, you start writing anyway, and you'll like land on something that comes out of it. And you're like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thought. And so doing that just trains your brain, you, you start to do that, you make that kind of commitment to yourself, like, well, I'm going to write every day, you start that practice, and you push through even the times when you don't have ideas, and your brain kind of like realizes sooner or later, it doesn't actually take that long, like, oh, we're doing this, I better come up with ideas. And I think one of the things that happens as well with that process is that you just realize the bar needs to be lower for what an idea is. <laughs> Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cutting Chai Stories. Write copy that feels good. It's the no-fluff copywriting podcast that teaches you to write copy you can feel good about and gets you more clients along the way. I'm your host, Jayati Vora, and I'm here to give you a shot of masala for your writing, a way for business owners like you to write copy your way, in your voice, with practical writing tips you can put into action right away. Let's find your words together. Before we jump into this interview with Jeremy, I want to tell you something I'm super excited about. So on October 1st, I'm holding a workshop called Unbore Yourself, which I got the idea for because, you know, we all have these core messages that we have to say, right? That we want to say that form the foundation of what our clients need to know before they can get to the next step. So for instance, one of my core messages is believing that anybody can write. It doesn't matter what's, you know, what experience you've had, what degree you've had, whether you've ever written before. But I think that writing is a skill and that with me, you can learn how to write. And that's something that you have to believe in order for you to ever pick up your pen to do your own marketing, to do your own copy. And just like that, all of us, all of us have messages that we need to repeat because nobody hears something the first time you say it. So you have to repeat it over and over. Now, what happens when you repeat something over and over, sometimes you can lose your passion for it. You can lose your energy for it. You can use that, lose that conviction for it. And then what the other person hears on the other side is just a bunch of words with no meaning, with no zing, right? They're words that don't excite the listener. And if you have become bored with your own messaging, how do you expect somebody else to be energized and excited by it. So it's really key that you are irresistibly in love with your own messaging. And so what this workshop is going to do for you is it's going to make you fall in love with, rediscover your passion for your own core messaging. And so you're going to come there with one message, one key message that you have been repeating over and over and are starting to get a little tired by you don't know how to find new words for. And what we're going to do is we are going to fall back in love with that message, whatever it is. And we're going to practice different ways of talking about it so that it's not the same tired routine all over again. So I'm really excited for this workshop because I'm so sick of this rote, templatized, cut and paste messaging that I can tell has no energy, no conviction behind it. And I am ready to live in a world where all of us are so excited by what we have to say, we would shout it on the rooftops until we went hoarse. 
So it's on October 1st. It's one and a half hours on Zoom. Um, it's just $25. So you have no excuse to not fall in love with your own messaging. And the link to sign up is in the show notes. I hope to see you there. And before further ado, let's go back to the interview with Jeremy. Today, I'm sitting down to interview Jeremy Enns to talk about his unconventional recipe for making a successful email newsletter. Jeremy is a digital nomad who loves Star Wars, bicycles, and podcasts. He runs Counterweight Creative, which is a podcast production and marketing agency. And he has a course called Podcast Marketing Academy. And of course, he's a former podcaster himself. But the reason I wanted to invite him on the show, other than the fact that you're awesome, Jeremy, is that every week he sends out one of my favorite newsletters ever, and that's called Creative Wayfinding. I'm sitting down with him now to talk about what goes into the newsletter, how he came up with the idea and the format, and what lessons he's learned from doing it that he can share with all of us. Welcome to Cutting Chai Stories, Jeremy. I'm so happy to have you here. Yes, Jayadi, thank you so much for having me here. I am so excited to do this interview. Okay, so I have a lot of questions, so let's dive right in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, creative wayfinding. It's probably the most complicated newsletter I get, format-wise, and it's also probably one of the longest. I just did a word count check on issue 104, which is one of my favorite ones, and it's over 3,000 words. Does that sound about right for how long your newsletters typically run? I mean, how did you come to write such a meaty email every week? Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't really track the whole newsletter word count. Usually I track the essay portion much more closely. And usually when I think of like the archetypal creative wayfinding essay, I would say that's probably like 1,500 to 2,000 words that said, I've also in the past year kind of gotten away and intentionally gotten away from that on a more like kind of bi-weekly basis or just giving myself the freedom to publish shorter pieces, especially when I'm working on something longer. Well, so let's run through the format and I have something to say about the shorter pieces as well. Okay. You have sections that are sort of standard for every issue, right? So there are some quirky bits like, is that the latitude and longitude that you have up top? This is something that has been so surprising to me that people have commented on quite frequently. I think just because it is unique and essentially it came from a couple of clothing brands that I love. So one is a jeans company and on like the the button at the top of the fly, they have their factory, uh, which is in Wales in the UK, the coordinates printed on there. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Because a big part of their brand is about how they're moving manufacturing or trying to bring back, revive Britain's denim uh, manufacturing industry. And so it very much fits into their brand. But I saw that and I was like, oh, that's so cool. And part of my fascination with this like idea of a sense of place, uh, like a physical place and how that's like, there's metaphors around that that tie into the creative process. And another part of my story is that I travel full time and have for the past six years. And so I kind of like saw that thing. I was like, oh, that's really cool. That resonates with me. And then I thought, oh, it's kind of cool for me as well, who, you know, is on the move every couple months. And I don't make a big deal of it, but usually I'll like link to the Google map location of whatever coffee shop or something that I was writing at that week or something like that. That's really cool. I didn't actually know that it was clickable. Uh -huh. And so now that I know An that, I'm going to like digitally stalk you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the first elements that you usually have after your brief personal note is like community shout outs. Tell me how those came about and, you know, do they serve a strategic purpose? I have 
hypotheses, let's say, about the strategic purpose of it. You are probably aware of Anne Handley. So she's a, like a B2B copywriter and does a whole bunch of stuff. She's got a quite a popular newsletter. Total Anarchy is the, um, is the newsletter, but it's like A-N-N as in Anne. Uh, in the uh, nothing like a good pun in a newsletter for writers. Mm-hmm. But uh, she has this community shout out section in hers. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, but then she'll have that other bit of like, oh, you know, thanks so much for so-and-so for having me on the podcast or like this place invited me to give a talk or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's a cool way. Because a lot of times I, if I'm, I guess on a podcast, if it's not really relevant to my audience, I don't want to like use up one of my kind of um, shareable link sections and do a write-up on it. But I do want to thank the person and like potentially send some traffic to them from people who are curious. So then I was like, oh, this is a little like way to thank people both outside the newsletter community, but also then inside. And so I kind of stole that idea from her. And I've seen other people do similar things. But on the strategic side, I don't know. When I think about that, I think there's a couple things. So like one of the things is I always welcome the new subscribers every week. People, they want to follow something that is popular, which is like kind of like a thing probably none of us want to admit, but is, is just true. And so I think it helps build momentum. I think people are more likely to share the newsletter if they see like, oh, there's new people always coming in, like this is growing, it's, it's this thing that like, it's the spreading and maybe I want to help that. And maybe that helps. I, I think, I think it, it probably does. One of the things that I remember hearing around audience growth and engagement is reward the behavior you want more of, essentially. This sounds like a, sorry, this sounds like a great parenting tip also. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've heard, this is actually, this is funny. I have not heard this. I don't have kids, but uh, my partner and I fostered a dog at one point who was just like a pup, seven month old puppy was just like a street dog or something terribly behaved. And so we were kind of looking at like, how do we get this dog to do anything? And all the advice was like, don't use negative reinforcement, just use positive. Like it's a longer term kind of tactic, but you're not going to like psychologically damage the dog by, you know, whatever, like hitting it or slapping it or, you know, spraying it or whatever. Everybody by virtue of what my newsletter is, it attracts creators. And so I thought, well, okay, every creator wants more eyes on their work and you know, those links don't get a ton of clicks, but I thought like, oh, if somebody shares my work, it's the least I can do to like include them and give them a little Mm -hmm. shout out with a link to their work. And I think that that works. And I don't know that they get that much traffic, but I think it's still cool to be shouted out by a newsletter you follow, even if it's not massive. It's also prime real estate. And I mean, it's very generous to link back to like, you know, the people who shared your newsletter or even who wrote a response to you. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your longer feature article, which now you're saying you do sort of once every two weeks. That's an original essay. And what I love about it is that it's usually very thought-provoking. It sort of takes a step back from the immediate day-to-day. And it talks about, I don't know, so, you know, sometimes I'll finish reading and I'm like, oh, okay, I never thought about something that way. And so I just wanted to talk to you about that. Where do your ideas come from? Do you feel like you fit them, you try to fit your essay into a particular content or subject bucket. What do you do when you don't have any ideas? Do you batch these? I mean, so many questions. Um, Okay, so let's start with the idea process. I remember hearing James Altucher talk years ago when I first started listening to podcasts, I listened to his show, and he would talk about this habit of having 10 ideas a day. And I was not working online. I was working a day job at the time and I kept a notebook with me and I tried to write them down either in the notebook or an Evernote or something. And like the first day I tried it, I maybe got seven or something like that. And then like the next day I got like four and then the third day I got like two. And then I like didn't have any ideas the next day. I was like, 
that's all my ideas. Like, I don't know. Yeah, they're done. What I realized, I had too high a bar for what an idea was. Because he was talking about this in the context of business. And so I was thinking, he has 10 business ideas every day. Like, that's what he's shooting for. Like, this thing that like, oh, this could make me money or I could, you know, whatever. And years later, I realized, oh, that's not, that's a really high bar for what qualifies as an idea. But I think that's where we mostly default to. We think like an idea needs to be a fully formed thing. I started writing daily. So January 1st, 2020, I mainly inspired by Seth Godin. And I mean, a a lot of other people who followed in his footsteps started publishing daily. A lot of the posts were like a thousand to fifteen hundred words, which was now is is even looking back on that, I'm like amazed that I could write that much. And I think that's sometimes like the right topic. Like I could sit down for an hour, hour and a half, wouldn't really edit it that much and just and publish that. And a lot of those were were decent. The first few days, even the first month, I would say, was like hard to get ideas. Uh, and I felt like there was a bunch of days where I especially in the first month or two where like the idea was like, I don't know what to write about. And so it's kind of just like, okay, well, I'm going to write and publish something. And so it's going to be about how I don't know what to write about. And the funny thing <laughs> is often like some something interesting does even come from those often when you just like, you think you don't have anything to write about, you start writing anyway, and you'll like land on something that comes out of it. And you're like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thought. And so doing that just trains your brain. You, you start to do that. You make that kind of commitment to yourself. Like, well, I'm going to write every day. You start that practice and you push through even the times when you don't have ideas and your brain kind of like realizes sooner or later, it doesn't actually take that long. Like, oh, we're doing this. I better come up with ideas. And I think one of the things that happens as well with that process is that you just realize the bar needs to be lower for what an idea is. And I think for me, when I think about an idea, it's just like, oh, that's interesting. It's just like a little like ping of like something. I'll think of like a word or phrase or something like that. And I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. Like there's something there. I have no idea what it is. I'm just like, no, there's, there's something there to be explored kind of and uncovered. And so I'll just like write down whatever that sentence or that, that word was. And I'll, I'll come back to it later. And a lot of times, like most of those ideas, I'll like look back through at the end of the week or the month or whenever. And I'll sometimes I'll just be like, what was this there was why was this interesting to me at the time like there's nothing here and then there's you know a good percentage of them that are like ah there's something here but I don't know what it is I don't have my head around it so I'll just like ignore it um a lot of them are just like bad ideas where I'm like I could write something about that but it's just there there's way better things to write about and then there's like a bunch that are kind of like either they're good ideas and I know I could just start on them like I don't know what I would say but I know I have enough information to start to like kind of have the sense of the direction this would go in And then there's a bunch of other ones where I'm like, this feels like a big one that I just need to like let set and marinate for, I mean, sometimes there's stuff I've been marinating on for, you know, a year and a half or or something that at that point, it starts to get just like intimidating to even start writing it, which I'm aware of. But I'm also like, oh, this feels like such a great idea. I want to do it right. I want to do it justice. But, you know, at some point, I just need to start on those. (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I have, I mean, I do the same thing, but just on my notes app. Mm -hmm. And so... Because I'll be walking on the street and I'll see something and it'll spark an idea that I want to come back to later. Yeah. And you just build a bank and it's so useful when you don't have an idea. Then you look back to your bank of ideas and you're like, oh, wait, I had that. I had that great idea that I never did. Yeah. And do you, do you try and sort of get them to fit into a particular like bucket? I kind of mentioned this in the intro. Like I've got the creative wayfinding newsletter. That doesn't is not monetized in any way right now. There's no sponsors or ads. Uh, there's no products related to it per se, uh, kind of about the content there. And then I have the podcasting 
marketing academy in my course and production business and, and stuff like that. And that's where all my products and services and like ways I can make money are. And I do have another newsletter that's uh, called the Scrappy Podcasting Newsletter, which is a more recent edition. That one's much shorter, more to the point. It's kind of like a two minute read. But that was really helpful because for a long time, like I started writing the Creative Wayfinding Newsletter in right at the start of the pandemic, like many people did. And I kind of was like going into it with the sense of I'm going to write like whatever comes naturally to me. And I kind of thought it would go in the podcasting direction and it just never did. Like from the first issue, I was like, okay, I'm going to do like a reintroduction to my list, which had like 800 people at the time or something like that. Um, but I hadn't published anything in, you know, a year or, or whatever. I'd tried a few newsletters in the past that never really stuck. And I realized in hindsight, that's because I was trying to follow someone else's formula for what an email newsletter should be. Mm. So I kind of went into it and I was like, well, I'm just going to write whatever comes out. The first one's going to be this like reintroduction to the email list, what I'm feeling right now. And then I'll probably get to podcasting stuff. And it just never did. And so I've kind of always been aware there's this disconnect of like the main thing I most enjoy creating has no, it's not attached to my business at all. And yet like it, it's relevant for all podcasters, but it's not about podcasting. And so it kind of still serves the role of like nurturing people and helping people get to know me, which in a weird way, I think does have a lot of business value because people come in for podcasting stuff. They get this newsletter where they're often like, oh, I had no, this is so like, I had no idea I would be getting this, but this is amazing. Like, and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. feel like marketing. It doesn't feel like yeah. email marketing. And then, you know, I say like, oh, hey, I'm coming up. My next course is launching and all these people are podcasters. And now they know me really well in a more nuanced way. And so I think it actually works pretty well. Related to the podcast stuff, I want to get more people in the course. I should have some more tactical, actionable things, but like, where does that go? It doesn't, I, I intuitively knew like, well, that doesn't go in this newsletter. So, and so that was kind of partly where that scrappy podcasting newsletter came from, where I was like, I need somewhere where I can talk more about podcasting more regularly and help people get to know me in that context. And so that kind of split these two, like I would have all these ideas. Some of them are related to podcasting and marketing. Some of them are related more to just the general creative journey. And so that kind of said, made it easier to say like, okay, well, these ideas go over here. And then because I know what the format is for the scrappy podcasting newsletter, I know how I'll kind of explore them there. And then these other ideas go over here. I think of them almost as like media properties. Also last year I started writing, like, uh, I have a series on Twitter called quick podcast tips. And essentially those are like, I'll have like super short ideas. And I'm like, I don't really have a lot to say on this, but I think these are going to be like highly actionable and tactical and like a thing you can do or a way to think about this topic. And I realized like that's actually the perfect outlet because both my newsletters are more thoughtful and strategic and like high level than actionable. As I've opened up more outlets, the ideas kind of just sort themselves out because they used to all just be like, I'd have this huge list of ideas. And I was like, I only know what to do with a small portion of these, but I like all these ideas. I just don't have anywhere to publish them right now. And now they've kind of like opened up over time. And actually, that's a perfect segue to the next thing I was going to say, which was this really memorable time you wrote a poem yes. instead of an essay. There's been several now. Okay, well, there was one that I remember and that I saved. And it was called Character Limits. Uh, yeah. And it was about, you know, the short social media bio with like the character count. And you had the... You had, it was a screenshot of yours and the words were crossed out. Um, and it was about the impossibility of shrinking somebody down to a character count. And I'm going to just read the second stanza of that poem just because it's fun. So I quote, but I'm also at least a quarter bicycle. I'm a little bit every song I've written, every photograph taken, every mile walked, and every grain of dirt and dust picked up along the way. I'm a little piece of every place I've been. Many places I have yet to go and still more I will never visit. 
I really enjoyed that issue. Yeah, it's making me tear up just hearing it. <laughs> I think the reason that I enjoyed it was not just for the actual poem itself, though I did appreciate the poem, but the fact that you switch things up and you weren't afraid to experiment with the other format or other medium, you know, however non-traditional for, you know, for a newsletter that while marketed at creators is also about marketing and kind of about business too. And I'm curious, what was the reaction to this issue, if you remember, or to any of your poetry ones? And is, is it typical? What did you learn from it? I think I've done at least three, if not four poems, but all four of those have all been like some of the most responded to issues, which is fascinating to me. I can't remember what this one was called, but I wrote one issue, I want to say maybe January, February, 2022. And then the next issue I did, I wrote about like, my experience of writing poems and like these have all been the most responded to like and they seem to resonate most with people mm. part of me thinks it's way easier to stand out by being different than by like being better is you know one of the things i teach with podcasting and marketing of any kind and so i think it's just like a pattern interrupt where like people are used to one thing they get the newsletter and then there's this one that just like stands out completely that that's the first thing is that it's just a pattern interrupter that it stands out it's different and people aren't expecting it so it kind of catches them off guard the second thing I would say is probably that most people, probably like myself included to some extent, like who enjoys writing poetry from time to time when the mood strikes and like enjoys reading it from time to time. But like, I don't necessarily, I feel like it's something that like I know would be beneficial to me and helpful, but I never like actually make time to sit down and do it. It doesn't like, it feels like, you know, exercising, like it's one of those things, you know, if you do do it, like you're going to enjoy it, but actually getting out the door is hard. So I like never do it. And so I think a lot of people think like, uh, I don't like poetry, it's too abstract, whatever. And so I think that poems about something they care about, like marketing and creativity, they're also like, oh, that interesting. Like, I like the content. It's content that they like delivered in an interesting format. And so I think that stands out. And then I think the third thing is that poetry is just probably the most dense meaning per word, kind of. Like part of the point of poetry is like condensing down meaning into a really small number of words a lot of times. And so I think there's something about like the uh, emotional density maybe um, or something like that of poetry versus a 2000 word essay that just like if you can get the point across in that way and it's like pleasing in a stylistic way, whether it's rhyming or structure or whatever it is, I think that's just like delivers an interesting, unique experience that they're not really getting anywhere else. So I've kind of like thought about that. I was like, does this mean should I just do poetry about like marketing? <laughs> and part of me thinks like that is a great <laughs> hook. Like, I mean, that is very niche. I yeah. mean, you would be the only one in that uh -huh. category, I think. <laughs> so speaking of pattern interrupt, you have this little section that I don't know that I've ever seen anywhere else where you invite reader feedback and not just in the usual way as part of the narrative. I mean, that's what I do. You know, when I, when I have a, a story driven email at the end, I might ask a question and then I'll say hit reply and tell me mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But you have links that people can click to tell you if they thought your essay was above average, average or below average. And they all have little, you know, emojis of thumbs up or thumbs down or like the fist bump. And I mean, do you get a lot of engagement in this way? And what do you do with that feedback? That's another good question. I feel like with a lot of things, 
think of myself as something of a collector. I like data and analytics and a lot of times I just default to collecting it and deciding what to do with it later, which a lot of times means nothing. But there have been times then where I've gotten curious and like a year after I started collecting some kind of data on engagement or, you know, whatever opens or clicks, I'll like realize like, oh, here's this way I can actually use this. And like, I'm glad I, I had it now. I don't think everybody's like that. And I think I know myself. And so that, that's why I do it. And I'm like, ah, it's easy to do. It doesn't really take much extra time. So I might as well do it. That said, I'm also aware that you can entirely overwhelm yourself by adding like five minutes per week of tasks that all of a sudden it adds up to now you've got like 10 hours of stuff that are just these little chunks of things. So I'm kind of aware of that as well. When it comes to that rating, kind of thumbs up, thumbs down uh, rating system, I actually only ever look at it once I'm already done writing the next essay. So this is using a tool called uh, Reactions, I think from Sparkloop is the company. I use this Reactions tool because it's a nice way to gauge you know, what people thought. And I would say I'm more interested in just overall clicks, regardless of like thumbs up, thumbs down, mediocre. I guess I'm looking for resonance probably. I think, I feel like that's my measure of resonance. Either if people, it resonates with people either enough to click the button or to send me an email. Like that's what I kind of want to know. Like which, which topics got people over that hump of just like reading it and being like, oh, that was interesting to then going to like, oh, I'm going to share this on Twitter. I'm going to send Jeremy an email, right? Even I'm just going to click that little button. And so that's more what I'm looking at. So I took one of your workshops around marketing podcasts and you said something there that really stuck with me. You said that sometimes the best podcasts, and I think this totally applies to newsletters too, by the way, you said that sometimes the best podcasts are the ones that are the hardest to define because the host personality is so integral to the podcast that without that person, the podcast just won't work. So it's not just about the subject matter is what I took away from that. And I think that totally applies to newsletters too, because if someone else were to write your feature essay, which is the anchor sort of piece of content, well, it wouldn't be the same because the thing that makes it work is the unique lens with which you understand and you talk about that issue. Now, I love that explanation, but also it feels a little bit contradictory to another piece of advice you gave me when we had those coaching sessions. During one of those, we had talked about the onlyness statement. Can you explain to our listeners now what you mean by that with the caveat that it applies equally to you know, newsletter opt-in pages, like the page on your site where someone can sign up for your newsletter. So how do you square those two things? And for the record, I agree with both of them. Yeah. So uh, essentially, uh, an onlyness statement is an idea by a guy named Marty Newmeyer, who is a brand strategist, very famous, maybe one of the most famous brand strategists. And I think that this comes from his book called Zag, which is like a super short read, like you can read it easily in a day. Highly recommend that. But it's essentially this like single sentence statement that completely explains your differentiation essentially and kind of positioning. Um, and so it applies to a whole business, to a specific product of that business, to a newsletter, to a podcast, to like any offer that you're making people and trying to market and get in front of people. And so essentially it's along the lines. Jeremy, can you give us an example? Yes. So essentially the, the framework for this is like this blank, this newsletter, or you can use your name. So the creative wayfinding newsletter is the only newsletter that and then there you put in your kind of differentiator of like what separates you from other similar newsletters for and then there you put in your kind of specific audience and uh you could there's also a couple other modifiers and so i think the next one is like that and so that kind of explains what result you're hoping to achieve for people and so probably a better because i have a really hard time talking about my creative wayfinding newsletter 
A better example would be my scrappy podcasting newsletter. And so if I was to create an onlyness statement around that, I would probably say something like the scrappy podcast newsletter is the only newsletter for scrappy underdog podcast creators that shares one two minute unorthodox tip per week uh, or podcasting growth tip per week for podcast creators looking to punch above their weight as like a small show or something like that. So that would kind of be a rough only in a statement where it's essentially a fill in the blanks statement. And often what happens is you go through this and you come up with something that sounds really good. But if you apply that to someone else's newsletter in your space, that's similar to yours, you realize like, oh, that kind of still applies to theirs. And so that's the signal like, Probably you don't need to rewrite the onlyness statement. You actually need to restructure your newsletter and kind of reposition it in a way that actually makes it the one and only, unlike anything else out there. And so you can kind of like play with these variables and think about that, how to do that. So that's the value of an onlyness statement. And if you're able to get a really good, clear one, that makes marketing so much easier because that's going to be, you know, very prominent on your website, on your landing pages, all that kind of stuff. And the point is kind of like the people who care about the things that make you different are going to see that and automatically be attracted to that. And people who don't care about that, well, that's okay. They can go somewhere else. Um, but the, the danger is like being just kind of like generic or vague about what you do, which doesn't like immediately jump out to the people who you're, you're best um, suited to serve. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the idea behind the onlyness statement. And the tension you talked about with this, I think about this a lot is because I'm struggling with my own creative wayfinding newsletter around the messaging is I don't have a clear onlyness statement. And I have experiment every week when I'm t- telling somebody about it, I try a new way of talking about it. And a lot of times I'll be like, oh, that was kind of interesting. Like, I think that kind of got it a bit better across um, a little bit better than I have in the past. I was talking to somebody just this morning on Twitter who said like, it's taken him three years to like niche down and like find his unique kind of offering and know how to talk about it. And I was like, oh, good. I've still got another year on the newsletter before I hit that three-year mark. And I feel like I've just talked to so many people where when you have something that is actually unique and original, the language doesn't necessarily exist to describe it well. The podcasting newsletter is way more actionable in a way. And so I think it's easier to talk about. Whereas my newsletter and kind of like what you mentioned when you brought up this topic is when it's so ingrained with you, it almost goes back to this character limits kind of idea we talked about there, where it's like, when the newsletter is just an extension of you, how do you sum yourself up in a pithy phrase? And you can, you you know, you can look at like LinkedIn and social media profile experts talk about like how to write your, you know, one sentence description. That's helpful if you have a niche that you're looking to attract people around, but it's, it's impossible to do like as a human. So I don't know. Continuing with the format of the newsletter, you have sort of that section about five things you might dig. And that sometimes can be quite tactical and uh, mm-hmm. actionable. Did that sort of evolve around along the way? Did you, is, is it just that you read so widely and, and you had all these tips that you wanted to pass on and sort of that got added on there? What does that section do for your, for your newsletter? Strategy is kind of an afterthought, I think, with this one. But I think that I was just inspired by a lot of newsletters that I was consuming when I started reading it, who had curated links or things like that. I'm consuming all the stuff anyway. I read a lot of newsletters. I come across a lot of stuff. I read articles. I find tools, all the stuff. So I think like I'm way more savvy on just like what's out there online than most of my readers. Like Sparkloop. Yeah. Like, yeah, like Sparkloop. And I kind of take that for granted. So, I, I, but, and then I talk about it with people and they're like, oh, what, what is that? And they're taking notes on this thing that I'm like, oh, everybody doesn't know about this already. And so I think it was kind of just this idea of like, 
it just keeps coming up that I have access to all this information and all these resources that are helpful for creators. I, I think there's something about the newsletter that I haven't like publicly stated, and maybe I haven't even really thought about this too much myself, but there's this is some par- kind of guiding part of it is like I feel like it's almost like a time capsule of like me that week. And so that's I like to kind of keep it fairly recent. Well, this this is another part of it as well. I think there's I have some intent, and so now all the the five things are all defined categories. So there's the first one is uh, so they're thought, tool, tactic, podcasting, and wild card. So the wild card can be anything. Podcasting is obviously something podcasting related because a large part of my audience are podcasters. Uh, and then the thought, tool, tactic, those three I thought were all important things for creators just based on my opinion. And I think like, I kind of like sharing something that's outside the world of maybe business or a different way to think about business or creative work. That's just like kind of expansive, maybe from like a human level. Cause I think like that helps all of us create better creative work. And then the, the tool is, you know, an interesting tool that's helpful to do, you know, whatever business creative work, uh, tactics, then something like I try to have something that's like actually actionable. Like here's a few weeks ago was one about like how to improve your social media profiles, like, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 steps. I I like having those kind of things. They feel like, okay, I think these are the, some of the categories of things that I believe are helpful to me and help me be successful and will help other people be successful as well. I want to catch on to something you said, um, which is that you don't really have a lot of strategy in this particular newsletter, but it's just things that are interesting to you. And it's a snapshot of you that week. And why that resonates with me is because I feel like I'm kind of the same way as a person. I'm, you know, someone once told me that there are two kinds of people. There are architects and there are gardeners. And architects Mm -hmm. are the ones who have like all the blueprints and they know exactly where they're going and how they're going to build. And then the gardener is more the type of like you water the plants and you see where they grow and you you sort of nurture mm-hmm. things where they are as and when they come. And I feel so much like a gardener, yeah. you know, all the strategy planning. I mean, as maybe you know from our previous chats, I find that hard to do. And so it's kind of reassuring to hear that you built this you know, successful newsletter on just things that are interesting to you. Well, I think there's a way that this works and there's ways that it doesn't work. So I think... The reason it works for me is probably partly luck at like the things that I'm interested in. Like I write about what I'm interested about in, which is like creativity and business and that kind of stuff. And so I'm like very much like heavily consuming that stuff. And the reason my stuff resonates with people is because I'm already like consuming things that I know resonate with other people and Mm -hmm. then processing those. And so I think it's a lot harder if you are not living in the worlds that your audience is living in and you're bringing in completely outside information and you're like wanting to do this thing, but you don't really know, you don't occupy the same spaces as your audience does. You don't read similar things to them. And I think there's a lot of value in in consuming things that are different from what everybody's already reading. But I think there can be a disconnect where when you're not inhabiting that, that mental space or that like physical Mm -hmm. space or that online space, whatever it is that then it's really hard to just, you know, you can create what you want to create, but there's no audience for it because it's not, you're not like synthesizing all that stuff that they're already into. And so I, th- I think that that's the danger where people could hear this and say like, oh, well, I'm just going to create what I want to create. And, you know, that's the, I'll be successful or there's a good chance because I don't, it, that, it doesn't always work that way. I will say from a strategy perspective, there is strategy as an afterthought, I think. Like one of the things I probably in the first year I was writing, there were some people who I was friends with on Twitter and followed their newsletters and their newsletters were growing so much faster than mine. 
And they were still like smaller than mine. Like I was starting further ahead, but they were growing at such a, a faster rate. And they were very like tactical, like curated links and like quick tips and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of just thought like, oh, maybe, maybe I should just do that. Like that seems to be the way to grow. And at some point it clicked and I was like, oh, wait a minute. It, it feels like those types of newsletters are a dime a dozen right now. It feels like there's tons of curated, like highly actionable short form newsletters. They're all, they, a lot of them seem to be growing really fast, but probably long-term, they can't all be successful because they're all competing with each other. And I thought like, actually, mine's really the only one like mine. It's way less common to have like a long form newsletter that's like 3000 words. And so I kind of thought like, actually, maybe that is my like differentiator. I mean, it is. And, but maybe it's actually, I should lean into that more and not like feel bad. Like I should be doing that other thing that people are using to grow faster. And I should just keep, be confident in the fact that like, I've got the only newsletter like this, and this is a clear alternative it's a better marketing move to stick to the long form and really like present that as a differentiator and like lean into it and say like, yeah, I'm proud of this. And it's, you know, you can get all that stuff anywhere. You can only get this here. Yeah. Speaking of building an audience, what do you do to build an audience for creative wayfinding? Right now, a lot of it has been newsletter cross promotions. And so with working with other newsletter writers who kind of write for creators and do swapping like little either links in, in some way or another. So I've like kind of recently in the past six months, maybe built out a, a kind of section kind of looks like a maybe sponsored section. And I, I've never had sponsors, but I've used that to like promote my own products or do promo swaps with, with other creators. And those have been really helpful. A lot of times, like I have lead magnets and things for all my podcast stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I have a couple of free courses, things like that. And so a lot of times people will come into my email system through that. It's not how you dream up a funnel normally, but mm -hmm. I feel like it kind of works. Um, and so like a lot of people just get the scrappy podcasting newsletter. A lot of people just get the creative wayfinding and a lot of people get both. Let's talk a little bit about PMA, Podcast Marketing Academy, right? That's your online course about podcast marketing. You know, we talked a little bit about that at the start, but you do talk about it in creative wayfinding. So how do you integrate, you know, the launch of each cohort into the newsletter? I mean, do you do something sort of traditional where you draw up the calendar so many weeks in advance and then you plan like what your issues are going to be about to sort of lead into that? What do you do any of that? And if yes or no, why? And and any any lessons you've gotten from reactions to that? So with the newsletter, really all I do is I do like in that feature section or that kind of sponsory section, that's the only place I'll promote PMA when when the launch is happening. So in those kind of few weeks leading up to it, I'll, I'll feature that in that section. I did one time, I think this was for the second launch maybe, or maybe third, I did structure... I did like map out the content ahead of time mm -hmm. and I haven't done it since then. It just felt contrived and I feel like the essays were good, but I am a huge believer in batching and like mapping things out and being able to say like, okay, here, I know two months from now, like what I'm going to be publishing kind of on my podcast or newsletter with creative wayfinding specifically. I don't have any problem batching my Twitter posts, scrappy podcasting. I batch like crazy. Uh, sometimes I'll batch. I like the, the first batch I wrote like 30, the first 30 issues before I ever wow. released any of them. And I was just like, I wrote three a day for like three weeks or I, I don't know what it was, two weeks, something like that. Um, but with creative wayfinding, I've, I've always felt like, like it doesn't resonate with me when I pull, when the timing isn't right. Like it needs to be, have some urgency to it for me to like feel like it fits. 
ever since that, whatever that launch was that I structured the the posts all in advance, I like got to those weeks, I wrote those and I was just like, did felt kind of uninspired with the posts. So I think like they weren't as good as they would have been. Yeah. And I, I don't know either. Maybe they did help get signups for that launch. I don't really know, but I, I kind of feel like because creative wayfinding is not necessarily like a, almost like podcast marketing Academy branded media property, I should keep it entirely detached content wise, like I'll give the shout outs to it and whatever, but it's there. It's kind of two separate things. I totally hear what you're saying because I feel like the energy with which you write absolutely comes through to the other person. Like for me, when I do batch emails, I mean, I never batch emails that I send, but sometimes I'll just have a fire hose of inspiration. Like just earlier this week, I wrote seven emails Mm -hmm. and I have no idea where I'm going to send them. I don't have a plan. But like, because I wrote them with that energy behind them, I know that that will carry through even if I send them seven weeks later. And I will, just to add on to that, I will say that I'm thinking here, because of the nature of writing, like what I'm feeling in the moment, when I'm in launch mode, like I'm thinking a lot about PMA. And so I think there's way more references to it that come up more organically in the Mm. writing. And so I think that's another way that it kind of comes in, in a way that still feels uh, authentic and like true to the newsletter. So for somebody who is just starting up their newsletter or revamping it, do you have any advice for formulating it? I mean, you have a kind of a set structure. So whether it's a format or like, or whether it's formulating their loneliness statement, you talked a bit about that. But if somebody's just starting this and they don't know where they're going with it yet, they don't have like their loneliness statement totally mapped out, what advice would you give? Yeah, I think the only advice that that worked for me essentially was just do what comes naturally like do do what you want to create i feel like like i can think of many different formats when i go back and look occasionally at the early the first 50 issues um i i can't actually believe how long some of the things i was doing persisted where i was like oh man i was still doing that at issue 50 and so right now i'm at like 110 or 111 i think was this past week um and so half of the newsletters kind of like in the under the old brand did things one way for a year. And even within that year, probably there was many changes regularly. Like I used to do way more links and then the links were uncategorized. And then I brought in more categoriz- categorization and shrunk down the number of links. And But like the format has changed quite a bit and quite regularly before I like really landed on something that I was like, oh, this feels right to me, at least right now. You, you talk about like the architect versus the gardener. I would say I default to being an architect and creative wayfinding is one of the unique projects in my world where I feel like the gardener is the right approach but almost everything else I like planning everything out and so that's why I've been really glad to stumble on this because it's kind of opened me up to the gardener approach to many other projects and kind of allowed for this serendipity of like just starting and like figuring out where it takes you and not needing to have all the answers off the start because I think even every time that I've like planned out as much as I could, you get into it and just abandon all the plans immediately. And it's like, oh, this isn't where this was going anyway. It's kind of like when I said I started my newsletter thinking it was going to be about podcasting. And within like two or three issues, I was like, well, this is never going to be about podcasting, Let's, <laughs> but it's fun. So let's follow where it goes. So yeah, I would say like start, look look for inspiration at uh, other newsletters or things like that, that you enjoy. Like I, I knew I wanted to write essays, but I also liked those curated link sections that I was finding in other people's. There's most elements of my newsletter I've come across somewhere else before and thought, oh, yeah, that's something I could add into mine. Right. Awesome. Is there anything else that you would like to add that I haven't asked you about? Like for me, I would write the newsletter if there were no readers because it's helpful. I feel like uh, a big part of creative wayfinding is this like 
self discovery and excavation, which makes it fun and feel valuable to do. Cause I feel like I learn more about myself by writing it in some weird way. Like the feedback I get from other people, like I kind of feel like we're all of us as like readers and, and writer of it is kind of on doing the same thing together of like finding our way to our kind of creative potential is how I think about it a lot. I want to be doing that anyway. And so I think that that's just for any kind of content you're creating, finding that thing where like it would be valuable enough to do it, even if you didn't, you know, all your monetization or, you know, business growth plans or whatever didn't turn out, like it would still be worth doing. Yeah. I love that description that you just said that we're all in this together. We're all doing it together. And I feel like creative wayfinding is really like a little bit of a guide on that, on that path. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Jeremy. This has been such a delightful conversation. And for all of you listening, go follow him on Twitter. Go sign up for Creative Wayfinding. If you like this podcast, you're going to love his newsletter. And I will put all his links and for podcast marketing academy, all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jayati.